The Jungle Podcast. Greetings from the jungles of Madagascar, where there is a giraffe, a lion, and a zebra that sounds oddly like Chris Rock right next to us. However, they are not talking because they are with a lemur, apparently. Uh, this is the Jungle Podcast. I'm, I'm... Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm... And he's Andrew. So, man, you know what that thing reminded me of? It reminded me of those, like, uh, back when it was a trend to have those animatronics. Like, those uh, animals playing in bands, like the Chuck E. Cheese band. Yeah. That reminded you of that? Yeah. Like, what, would even, what even was that, you know? The animatronics were my reference. The animatronics. Oh. Like, uh, who? Like that, that seems so odd looking back at it. Like, let's make these mechanized animal mascots and have them play instruments. I think it was because it was an experimentation with new technology. I think they just thought, you know, fuck it. Let's terrify kids with robots that look not realistic whatsoever. You know, did you ever go to Chuck E. Cheese as a kid? I did. I went a lot. It was my favorite place. And my poor parents, I tortured, cried, screamed, and begged for me or for them to take me to Chuck E. Cheese. So Chuck E. Cheese was like a common event. Oh yeah, like I like if I open up old boxes, I can find Chuck E. Cheese tokens in them, dude. It wasn't really? a common event actually, um, but it was I would say slightly above the mean. I just yeah. really I don't know what was up. <laughs> As a kid, I really liked Chuck E. Cheese. I was like on the lower end of the mean. You know, I was like on the lower end. Of <laughs> on the, the lower end of the Chuck E. Cheese desire spectrum. <laughs> well, it was because it was so far away. Because where I lived, there was one in the entire city. And I lived like 45 minutes away from it. So it was just never like an option, you know? Right. And then my cousin took me there one time after I was like old enough to kind of understand price ranges. And I was just like... Every time my parents said, no, you can't go to Chuck E. Cheese, it's too expensive, I was realizing that was like total bullshit because it was like $5 for coins. It was like hardly anything. I'm actually now realizing how cheap Chuck E. Cheese is compared to similar services like Dave & Buster's. Oh God. Have you been to Dave & Buster's? Dude, I have. I love Dave & Buster's, but it is so expensive. Dude, and the thing that bothers me like the most is that it's very... Like, it's less of an experience, and it's more of a consumerism kind of thing. All the microtransactions and stuff. Like, I prefer to go to a place that you pay for the day, and you get, like, you get to do, like, three big events there, and you get to do so many arcade games. But there, every single time you play a game, it's, like, two, three dollars for, like, the very expensive prize-oriented games, and, like, what, a dollar fifty for, like, the more traditional games? Is it that expensive, really? That was, like... 50 cents. I'm not sure. I just remember thinking like, damn, I feel guilty AF for like, you know, spending so much money here. Um, there's this one game at Dave & Buster's. Uh, It's the coin drop game. Dude, that game is so easy. It's so easy. Sorry, not everyone can calculate the exact physics of coin trajectory. (laughs) Because the one that we went to 
no matter what happens, if you just put like one coin in, easy, 100 tickets. It was so easy. Well, yeah, but there's no way you're going to get nearly the uh, return on investment. Well, no, but that's like, <laughs> the point of the arcade is the experience of like trying to earn like a shitty toy, you know? <laughs> You know, I think that's gonna be so funny, like, eventually when arcades are, like, phased out, you know, because I, I feel like arcades, like, are really, like, getting to that, you know, phased out point. Yeah. Um, with the exception of places like Dave and Buster's, for instance, or casinos. But I think it's gonna be so funny when they're not a thing anymore, people are gonna look back and be like, wow, people spent a lot of money and time to get really shitty prizes. Uh, I think with Dave and Buster's, they adapted really well, and also I think the ability to drink and socialize out of Dave and Buster's makes it, like, pretty worth it, you know what I mean? That's true. I, I can definitely see, like, uh, going out after work and getting, like, tapas, you know, a beer, and then maybe playing a couple games. I think some places have, like, bowling alleys. Yeah, like, there's, yeah. like, main event, for example. Have you ever been to a main event? Uh, no. Yeah, so main event, they'll have, like, an arcade, a bowling alley, and they're, like, substantially sized bowling alleys, so you get a lane, pretty much guaranteed, and then they have a bar and, uh, food. Uh, there's actually this one place that I went where, uh, they had the food come to you, so they had, like, servers and stuff that would, like, come to you and take your order and stuff while you were bowling, and that was pretty cool. I liked that. Yeah. Um, have you ever been to a eat and watch, not eat and watch, but like a, uh, uh, drive-in movies? Uh, not necessarily drive-in movies, but like one of those movies where they have like a waiter for you. Really? Yeah. That sounds so fancy, actually. So. I never knew I wanted to do that before I died. Now I want to do There's that actually one <laughs> right by campus, uh, that you can go to and it's like $5. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's, uh, the tickets are super After cheap. the recording, you gotta drop me, you know. Gotcha. I would drop you the deeds. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was actually a pretty good experience. When, last time I went, I went to see Thor, and first off, I have a massive rant about Thor, Love and Thunder. I know you don't care for Marvel, so I'm not gonna... Uh, Marvel is gross. <laughs> yeah, Marvel's disgusting, right now at least. But, uh... Yeah, I have like a massive rant about that, but we went and it was too late, so I had already ate dinner. But dude, I had like popcorn delivered to me and like a soda. It was like really, and it was like the only movie theater where it's acceptable to use your cellular device. Like I know people are like, no, you shouldn't use your cell phone during a movie. You're an asshole if you do that. I'm like, you're right. However, in this case, it was nice because like I could open my phone up and check the time, and it was fine. And also, Thor was such a boring movie, I almost, like, had to, because it was literally <laughs> driving me crazy how yeah. bad of a movie it was. Well, you know, um, there's this movie theater I used to go to, it was this, uh, it was this AMC, and they have these, like, red couches, like, mm -hmm. leather couches, and you can press a button and it reclines all the way, like, these electric leather oh, couches. Really? Yeah, and you can, like, uh, get beers and stuff, too, you know, go to your movie with a beer, um, they actually have a thing where you can lift up the armrest, so mm -hmm. if you go with someone else, you can lift up the armrest and basically have, like, a bed. See, I don't know people who participate in the drinking culture like that, though, who, like, go to movie theater and actively drink. Because I the mean, drinks are know, so expensive, you know? That's true. And yeah. the beer's usually really bad beer, apparently. I mean, you know, I'm sure if you have, like, an IPA on mine that you really like, or a specific beer... And you show up and you make enough money to not really care, you know. 
I'm not a big drinker though. So no, neither am I. I actually dislike alcohol very much. It, I don't like the. Uh, have you ever gotten like trashed? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we can say this on the podcast because it's for some reason socially acceptable. But uh, do you know like the time jumps that you get when you're trashed? Yes. I hate that. I hate them so much. That is like the partly the reason why I never get trashed is because it's like you have no sense of control of your own actions sometimes. Yeah, and it's not just that, but like for me, recently I've been feeling like a sense of malaise when I have alcohol in my system. And it just seems weird, like, you know, the subjective effects of alcohol are like what you know, I mean I I, I just don't I don't know, I, I feel like people who drink a lot of uh or who like enjoy drinking maybe it's more so of a thing that they enjoy not being sober rather than enjoying alcohol. And oh, I, yeah, I think 100%. there's a clear distinction. Yeah. It's also, I think there's a slight addictive part to it too. You know, I think once you get into drinking, it becomes a lot easier to stay in than to not drink. Right. Especially and, in a college environment like us. Right. And then one of the things that really bothers me is you can be a functioning alcoholic, oh, which yeah. is awful because then it makes it easy to, you know, instead of just like relaxing on Friday night and then maybe extending into Saturday, it makes it really easy to go, okay, I finished all my work today. I'm just going to have a beer or two. And then buddy comes over, oh, let's have a few more. You know, like I have friends who have like five shots a night and they'll buy like big things of alcohol. And then, you know, at the end of every day around nine o'clock, they go to their dorm and they just chill. They have a great time. I'm sure they have a lot of like, really socially valuable experiences with each other but at the same time you know i don't think that's a sustainable way to live it's bad for your body it's really bad for your body to do to drink my uh cousin my my second cousin i want to say she actually passed away from liver failure and they think it was due to her alcoholism and dude it's like you wouldn't have never known like talking to her and it was just like this like family secret that she drank so much right that no one talked about you ever think about that like do you ever like you don't have to like tell your family's dirty laundry on the podcast but do you ever have like any family drama or like family secrets that you hear about and you're like whoa i'm an adult now they're like telling me stuff you ever had that i mean yeah it's crazy right like it's like a weird it's like a weird like milestone that you reach where your parents are telling you stuff about your family <laughs> i mean i suppose so but at the same time, I've never been one for like family, social politics. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's ridiculous. My family is a nuclear family I grew up with. Everyone else is a friend who's genetically related, you know, in my opinion. Um, yeah, but like, I think what is more so interesting to me is, you know, I think it's a pretty common experience. Everybody has a family member with a terminal disease or with a uh, mental illness that has a scary name or some kind of vice or right right or a family member who's racist or etc um who's committed crime and has not been caught whatever and it's just you know interesting because i feel like most people have some sort of experience like that but for whatever yeah. reason it's not acceptable to talk about these private issues for whatever reason we have to pretend that the average person doesn't have these difficult experiences yeah, and I think it's partly because your brain has a natural response to harm reduce instead of actually dealing with a problem at the source. And usually due to that way your brain works, you 
don't want to actually talk about things with your family to say, hey, this person, I am worried about them actively. Let us actively give them help. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, there is a debate around autonomy. How much can you control someone else's actions? Right. Um, that's a big one around addiction. It's like, can you, is someone who's addicted, are they letting go of their autonomy to get help? Right. Like, you know how people get forced into rehab? Yeah, I always thought that was super messed up. Like, in a way, you're basically being kidnapped, you know? Right, but like, how do you, when is the level of addiction where you no longer have your own autonomy? Right. And that's interesting because uh, that's not a question for me. That's a question for like a, a psychiatrist and a psychologist because I, I don't know nearly enough uh, right. about that. You know, actually, uh, when I was studying chemistry over the summer, I was going to go to Florence to, uh, you know, with the school's program, you pay for like a large chunk of it and you can apply for all these scholarships. Apparently, I value my Italian heritage. <laughs> you have Italian heritage? Like, a uh, very small percentage, gotcha. but enough for me to want to get a $1,000 scholarship. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, I'm an awful person. Um, but anyways, uh, no, uh, one of the classes I was going to take is uh, drug addiction um, and organic chemistry. I, I was on the fence about the drug addiction class. There was a chemistry of cuisine where they showed you how all the chemicals in the food, like, interact with your nervous system and stuff. And... Uh, but I was really excited to take that, uh, you know, addiction. And it was like a chemistry, psychology yeah. thing, which I think is a very interesting approach to take. I am, I'm not sure uh, what the science is behind some addiction, you know. I know with like marijuana use, there's technically nothing chemically addictive in marijuana. <coughs> Sorry. You're good. Chemically addictive in marijuana. Psychedelics, I believe it's the same with some exceptions. I, I think marijuana can be physiologically addictive. Oh, it can be physiologically addictive. Because um, I, I think, and you know, don't quote me on this, right? Yeah. But uh, I think it's that uh, when your cannabinoid receptors are agonized, I'm not sure if that's the right term. Mm-hmm. I, I know pharmacy people are using that term a lot, so. <laughs> um, but basically you produce more serotonin and over time your body naturally produces less serotonin because it's anticipating the extra serotonin from smoking weed. Right. That's why you get like maybe weed hangovers and stuff is because you're missing serotonin and you need to smoke weed to get it back. See, but what when is that? What's the line between? I mean, neither of us know, but uh, I do know there is technically speaking no chemicals in weed that can be make it chemically addictive, like compared to your nicotine and alcohol, like uh, <coughs> like weed withdrawal, for example massively different than withdrawal with alcohol you can die from an alcohol withdrawal yeah i did not know that i think that's how they actually thought my cousin died too was the liver failure combined with the withdrawal like her liver failed because she wasn't drinking she went to turkey and you know what's what's crazy too is um i don't think you can die from an opiate withdrawal you just Um, feel like you want to die are you sure i i feel like i've let, let me give a quick search uh we're gonna type it into chrome can you uh, of course i get the helpline oh i yeah. guess you can never mind yeah that's what i thought i thought that was like what was like killing people with opioids wow yeah oh, no 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 this this uh, website says you let me ask reddit because we're getting mixed uh mixed input here um yes 
Um, maybe. maybe I, I, I don't know. It's a lot of yes and maybe. So that's <laughs> yeah. with any substance. Um, but you can never die from weed withdrawal. There's no chemical reaction from your body when you stop smoking weed outside of the serotonin depletion. Right. right? Um, is it ecstasy that people will get addicted to? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, for a lot of people, like, uh, doing MDMA mm. is, or MDA, is, like, you know, might be their first experience, like, being happy. And actually, you know, I met a girl uh, before. Um, I went up to, uh, oh, I, I don't want to say the name of the university, because uh, maybe people will know who I'm talking about. Um but uh, we were going to the club and she offered me these MDMA pills and I said no because you know she said she got them from a random person and you yeah. know not only am I not about to take drugs but <laughs> you know like random person like you have exactly, no idea what it is you know like right. um, those could be anything um, not that I do drugs to begin with but you guys gotta stay safe out there right um, but dude uh, she uh, talked about how this is her third day in a row doing MDMA and I was like, you know, dude, there's like, you know, neurological damage associated with repeated use. And she goes, oh, it's fine. You, you can do it every three months. And she justifies her behavior by saying she's doing it four times in a row in a year. You, you know? Okay. But, but like, no, no. But here's the thing, though, that makes me feel bad is I feel like some people have depression and they don't know they're depressed. You know, I mean, this is a common experience across the board. But I feel like some people, when they take drugs like MDMA, it's their first time really being happy and right. really being able to communicate with people without feeling like shit. Isn't MDMA the drug that's known for its Suicide Tuesdays, where the drop from the high after partying all weekend usually kills people, like people commit suicide because of it on Tuesday? I, I feel like that's over-exaggerated, yeah. but that does exist. Like, the come down is very, very harsh. Uh, I don't know. It's like with hallucinogens, hallucinogens are very much a mixed bag when it right. comes to addiction. Tryptamines. Right. Like, I don't know how... I Like, I can't, like, put a one giant label over hallucinogens as addictive, non-addictive, beneficial, not beneficial. You know what I mean? It very much is substance by substance basis and environment by environment basis. Yo, have you heard of Bromo Dragonfly? No. I think it's like 4ACO Bromo Dragonfly. I, I forget like its technical name, but it's called Bromo Dragonfly because its molecular structure looks like a dragonfly. Really? really. Cool. And it's hilarious because uh, this was developed in an academic setting. Uh -huh. And then I guess like uh, drug chemists were like looking at these papers. Because I mean, I assume a large, or I don't want to say a large, but like a percentage of drug manufacturers are academically involved. Um, and, you know, so these started producing this research chemical and it gives you like an LSD trip basically. Interesting. For something like, uh, I had like three days. Something like that. So is Three it... Three days, that's insane. When you say drug manufacturers, are you referring to legal or illegal drug manufacturers? Illegal. Because mm. uh, I, I looked at the synthesis for, like, uh, like LSD, for instance. That's mm. super complicated. You can't do that without graduate chemistry education. Really? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, making something like uh, morphine, for instance, you know, or like uh, amphetamines. Like, there's a formula to do it, you know, anyone mm. can do it. Um, 
or like or so it appears this is just stuff i've read online and on the dea website which actually they had instructions on the dea website accessible to everyone on how to make amphetamines really yeah because it's like you can look it up it's basically common knowledge like if you look it up right you know um but like once you start getting into things like lsd like you know you need lysergic acid amide which co which comes from ergot you know like if you touch ergot you can get ergotism and die you know that's so, like big boy chemistry then so like do you think there's a chance that like these things are on the market from like private corporations that are just kind of keeping it on the dl or do you think it's these people who are just active like academically knowledgeable on how to make these substances i think you have groups of people who are academically knowledgeable the dea uh highlights you know um northeast uh california as like a zone where there's a lot of lsd chemists oh well that makes sense because you have <laughs> uc berkeley and um you uh caltech and not mit is it stanford? mit's in massachusetts bro massachusetts. opposite side of the country <laughs> is stanford california mm, I, is it i is have it? no idea i don't know but you have like a ton of academics like the best universities in one state that makes total sense right i'm sure there's also um like a lot of people order drugs from the netherlands you know i'm sure there's also like uh you know semi-private corporations that like produce stuff have a business plan and everything that's interesting yeah yeah i, I find it particularly interesting just the you know the economics of an industry that's like illegal and also regulated in some places. I, I just think that's a very interesting situation to observe. Yeah, where I think we're seeing that with marijuana right now too, with the legalization of marijuana in some states and the uh, criminalization of marijuana in other states, uh, it's really convoluted right now on when and where you can actually have a baggie of marijuana on you. Um, like, uh, did you know that in Florida, with a med card, if you, like, if you buy someone weed with your med card, uh, it's actually, like, a bigger crime than just, like, selling. <laughs> Are you for real? I'm being for real. Well, I mean, I'm sure you have, like, you know, what, like, can you, like, throw insurance fraud in there or something? You know? Oh, no, like, I mean, the charge itself is more... Right, right, right. But, like, is it a charge for, like, some medical thing no. that would result from sharing prescribed medicine? It's, no, it's a, it's a, a drug. Um, That's interesting. That's yeah, it's, actually it's interesting. it's drug legislation. Huh. It's, it's really wild, dude. So, like, don't ask your friends for uh, med card weed. Weed, apparently. Um. I don't know. I think with drugs right now, I think the best goal in mind should be harm reduction. I think in this case, we need to have a full decriminalization of all drugs. Oh, uh, well. Decriminalization okay. of drug possession, not manufacturing and trafficking. So in this case, no, someone's not going to go to jail for having coke on them. However, they do need to go get help. Right. That's nice, actually. Because what we're seeing like data wise is that decriminalization and investment into communities decreases the amount of drug use that happens in in a given area right. than uh say throwing them in jail because you can get drugs in jail you know what i mean it's not that hard 
I say not that hard, like I. <laughs> As if you've been in jail, no. you know everyone. You got a whole system but set like, up. No, like like you can get drugs in jail, you know, um, but if you decriminalize them and focus on harm reduction centers, they literally work. In Portugal, uh, they had a massive heroin uh, pandemic, not pandemic, but uh, epidemic, where everyone was using heroin. It was a massive problem, it was destroying Portugal as a country. Well. Their first response to it was, okay, we are going to make heroin very illegal. You're going to go to jail for 40 years if you're caught with it. If you're trafficking it, you're, you're gone. Death penalty, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious, but... Right. Uh, very much big, no more, right? It didn't work. It made it worse. Uh, then they decided, okay, we are going to decriminalize them and then make uh, care centers for heroin addicts. And dude, it worked so well it it was night and day with the right. legislation um their heroin problem almost gone you know there's actually a psychedelic themed festival called the boom festival and it takes place uh in portugal for really? the reason yeah it's, it's uh what's the festival about besides psychedelics like... no it's about psychedelics really? which actually i find a little bit bothering you yeah. know because it feels odd to me to have you know a cultural event uh artistic event that's surrounded around a drug rather than you know some of the ideas and philosophies that maybe a drug has inspired you know i don't think those are mutually exclusive though no 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 i mean they're not but i, I just get annoyed when people you know what actually i'm being presumptive because psychedelics can exist without drugs you can be psychedelic without doing yeah like psychedelic drugs it just depends on your energy man yeah no no but like psychedelic describes altered states of consciousness and you could enter altered states of consciousness through meditation you know through spiritual activism etc you think no i know you, i mean you can like alter your state of consciousness through meditation yeah like like, oh, wait, can't you meditate your way into a DMT trip? I don't know, bro. Yeah, it's like a thing. Did you know that? I don't think that's how it works. Dude, look it up. Dude, I'll look it up. I promise you. This is a real thing. Oh, my God, dude. So, you can... It's, like, it's really under-researched. It's, like, one-off cases. But apparently... Okay, if it's a fir if Reddit's the first link, it's probably <laughs> yeah, not real. Yeah, it's probably BS. Everyone uh, talks about how the brain, I think it's like the pineal gland, produces DMT, but it's nowhere near enough and not anywhere in the same way that it would be the same as consuming the drug. Yes, but what I'm saying is that the meditation use can stimulate that part of the brain and cause a trip. Well, I mean, I think then we talk about more interesting things, you know, like uh, self-hypnosis and things like that. That'd be kind of sick. You want to, like, self-hypnotize yourself, dude? You know how many problems, like, would go away if no, I could, no. like, hypnotize myself? You can do that. Dude, I'm, like, hypnotize myself to lose 50 pounds, bro. Or to think you lose 50 pounds Yo! so you can continue to be, like, just, like, relaxing, you know? I just realized, did I just blow the listener's ears off? <laughs> Quite possibly. Um... I hope you got- oh yeah, I did. That's okay. <laughs> oh yeah, we, we can see the waveform. Yeah. It's like a solid block of uh, vocals. Can I reminds me of the, uh, the blip. Have you heard of the blip? The blip? No. Uh, 
these researchers underwater were recording sounds and they call it the blip because there's just like random blip that they cannot figure out what it was at all it's just random huh. and that's all it was they cannot identify it because remember like with how much research scientists have done underwater we can get a good idea of what animals are making what noise right and in this one they cannot figure it out but it was so loud that they could detect it on the microphones that's interesting. Maybe it wasn't an animal. It was like uh, it, the a aliens or something. No, what if it was the aliens uh, <laughs> coming down to Earth? Yo, what if the aliens live underwater on the Yo. ocean floor in like tunnels? In tunnels? Yeah. So and then there's like air in the tunnels. You know those like oh. underwater caves? Yeah. You know, what if there's like a like humanoid species that's like underwater that we just don't know about? That would be cool. Do you think that'd be, like, evolutionary possible? No, absolutely not. No, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I suppose, like, uh, you know, our common ancestor with monkeys came out of water. Really? Yeah, um, actually, I watched a TED Talk about it. Um, yeah, that's the fish thing, right? So it goes... No, 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 no. There's, uh, like, uh, a lot of people think that, you know, complex life originated in hot springs. And um, there's, so people look at the age of the rocks and the hot springs from their mineral compositions, and then they posit like, oh, this is the oldest hot spring we found, therefore life is most likely to have originated from here. And, um, you know, the chemical conditions of the hot springs were such that, you know, it was like a chemical factory. And all these different chemicals and microorganisms were mixing together until complex life began to form. That makes a lot of sense, though, because imagine, yeah. like, uh, like standing water, right? Standing water is known as, like, the grossest water ever because of how much bacteria and viruses grow inside standing water. Now, adding heat onto that would make... That makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. Does that, and, make, that makes a total... And like, it's crazy because we can pinpoint, like, very specific hot springs. Right. From which, uh, you know, academics posit, you know, life might have started here. And it's it's very interesting because I feel like not enough people have heard that. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to me that people still buy into things like creationism. You know? I Dude, I was not raised in a creationist household despite being raised in, like, a semi-religious household. And I'm so glad. I've talked to too many people. I had a guy in my uh, family who argued with me that uh, the research around evolution was like bad. And I was just like, <laughs> that doesn't mean creationism makes sense. Um, final topic before we end the episode. How do you feel about Bigfoot? Bigfoot. I could have a lot to say about Bigfoot. I really could have. I, I had uh, in my data science uh, class, or it was it was effectively a library sciences class, uh, one of the best class I've taken, classes yeah. I've taken, because um, I've developed so much research skill, but our teacher, uh, instructor, professor, I don't know what her specific title was, um, worked a lot with libraries, mm -hmm. and she knew everything there was to know about aliens and Bigfoot. Really? So and it was, was funny. She had all the, this crazy obscure information. She could pull up, you know, this information from archives and, you know, these really obscure radio shows. And it's crazy because, um, you know, 
sometimes really sometimes the origins of some cultural elements are very obscure very specific right. like we're talking you know some kid in his garage who plays with radios and talks to other people he's never met in person about bigfoot being responsible for like a cultural change so it's really fun to see how all of these things are archived and you can look at them so i think from that kind of standpoint of looking at the origin of things bigfoot might be really interesting i'd love to look into that later so but pick a side for the episode pick <laughs> a side i mean i well, what do you that mean was such a sitting on the fence answer <laughs> it, it was a perfectly diplomatic pick answer. a fucking side you politician oh man uh i mean what do you mean by side like real not real bigfoot real or not, not real. <laughs> bigfoot real or not real 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 all right bigfoot is real so i am a bigfoot realist um (laughs) i am a bigfoot realist (laughs) welcome to my show i think monkey (laughs) big monkey still exists i want a massive monkey to exist and eat banana like us i actually have a banana out right yeah we have a banana it's um not ripe it's actually about 18 and a half hours away from being ripe which frustrates me it's so close how did you have that number i looked at it and then pulled that out of your ass okay well my (laughs) art i can also pull things out of my armpits thank you very much (laughs) so you are bigfoot realist too yeah, because we're not just talking about the physicality of Bigfoot, okay? We're talking about the idea of Bigfoot. We are talking about the, the ideology. Idea of... of monkey is real, okay? The ideology of the giant monkey is real. You know, I really want there to be, like, a semi-intellectually, intellect, dude, what am I saying? A semi-intellectually competent monkey that, like, participates in society... Aren't those just chimps? I guess they don't participate in this. No, no, but like, and like, you know, a frightening, a frighteningly large monkey. Yeah, I think we, I think human beings need a little competition. I think like another human species needs to like come out. I think God needs to release the new patch notes and add um a new human species because right now I think. Uh, well, you can't add a new human species because human is a species. Bro, just spawn it in. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Um, I've been really thinking about how how humans, like, in a future where we live on, like, spacecraft, you know, how we might integrate and cohabit with another species. You know, like, yeah. some sort of alien group that, you know, who's, like... Uh, I, I guess whose uh, metabolism and stuff, like they're chemically similar enough to us and socially similar enough to us where we could like go to the same cafes and have the same methods of education. I feel like that would be very interesting. See, I, I don't like paying with a broad brush when it comes to human beings and like what is innate and what is cultural, right. you know? Like, I have no idea if war is an innate biological concept or if it's a cultural concept. I don't know if we war... Like, I don't know if white people wore more than the average Asian person. You know what I mean? I have no idea. However, I do wonder is it, would that, 
Would that prove if like violence was innate or is it a cultural expression? If the idea of we are putting ourselves into space with a blank slate and we still end up fighting other species, does that make us biologically innately violent? Well, I think that depends on how you define war. Um, I, I think of it less as the human being biologically violent, mm -hmm. and I think of it more as, you know, the most fundamental rules of physics and chemistry. Well, I mean, you know, physics through chemistry. Right. You know? To be I, honest. I think it's that kind of thing, and well, I don't know, actually. I just realized I take a very materialist perspective. I have kind of a very cynical take though around space travel and aliens and that if human beings were able to colonize, the moment we end up in a solar system where there's like consistent observances of life, the value of that life goes away and we will end up genociding like groups of like aliens. You know what I mean? I feel like Star Wars deals with this a lot and I would love to read Star Wars and actually get into it. Because I feel like they deal with a lot of like very heavy, very important IRL um, ethics questions as it applies to the world they've created. Uh, Star Wars A New Hope is actually... Or actually, the original trilogy altogether is based off of Viet Cong and American soldiers. Oh, no way. That's crazy. Yeah, so the rebels are the Viet Cong uh, and the Empire is the United States. Huh. Yeah. Um, you know what's funny how I know that fact? Uh, this guy in like second grade was a Vietnam veteran and he came into class and it was like a show and tell but with like your parent or grandparent you know and he was this uh, Vietnam veteran he's like yeah uh, Star Wars is actually based on Vietnam and I'm realizing knowing that in like 2008 before the emergence of the internet is like a big deal you know what I mean like that is a very important cultural analysis to have and he was like saying that the rebels were based off of the Viet Cong. And he was a Vietnam veteran. And the rebels are the good guys in the series. Right. You know how depressing that actually <laughs> is when you think about it? Yeah. Like, he knew, like, as he got older, like, oh, we did bad. Well, I mean, um, you know, actually, and I'm a little bit informed about this because I read, uh, I've been listening to this audiobook. Uh, I can't remember the name right now, but it uh, follows the history of oppressed groups. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, uh, as oppressed groups in the context of the U.S. You right. Know? And one of them was uh, they did a, uh, you know, part on Vietnam. And it's crazy because a lot of soldiers just kill people. You know? No, yeah. no, no. But, like, they didn't want to. And oh, actually, yeah. there was, like, a, an incredible number of uh, officers who were grenaded. Uh, they had, like, a term for it when an officer would, like, command uh, his company or group or, you know, uh, whatever unit type, right, mm -hmm. um, to commit some atrocity like that. And then they would just throw a grenade under his tent in the middle of the night and kill him. Like, there was really? a lot. Yeah, there was a lot of mutiny. Uh, a lot of which has been lost to history uh, that occurred in the Vietnam War because the people fighting the Vietnam War didn't they were all want draftees. to fight the Vietnam War. Right, they were all draftees. Right. I mean, it's crazy. People uh, committed like, uh, like uh, I, I guess it could kind of be called terrorism crimes in the U.S. And then juries would acquit them 
just because the agreed like the Vietnam War is atrocious. It's awful. Um, yeah. To be honest, I think the Vietnam War is like one of those under-prosecuted like cases of war. Oh my god, dude, are you crazy? Like, I read about things like Operation Phoenix, dude. Yeah. Operation Phoenix, uh, they took I. How much was it, man? It was in the thousands. It was thousands of people's lives. Yeah, no, no, killed them because they were suspected to be integral members to the communist Except party. Except they were in civilian clothing. Right, they're, they're a bunch of civilians. They would consider large swaths of land open fire zones and say that anyone who remains in those zones ought to be considered not ought to uh, anyone who remains in those lo- zones is an enemy, and then they would just shoot everyone there. Um, you know, all sorts of awful 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 things um there are probably several general uh, generals alive still that should be in jail for war crimes for right I, i'm not i'm not saying that like all of the people who are participants of the vietnam war should go to jail it's whatever you know what i mean however there is no way some of the stuff that we did in the vietnam war was legal well i mean you know, I think then you talk about greater meta things, like, yeah. you know, um, the moving of, you know, the, the moving of an actor from one thing to another when it provides benefit within the context of a certain system. Like, you know, um, so, okay, so I, I dislike a little bit when people say, like, you can prove something is wrong, right? Connected. But... Okay, that was scary. Um, the speaker said something. Thought it was gonna explode for a second. <laughs> Life flash. Seven dollars from five five below, dude. This is like a bomb waiting to happen. Oh yeah, no, we got the speaker for seven dollars, and I've been happily surprised with its endurance and quality. Yeah, like seriously, <laughs> it lasted like four weeks, dude. It's it's upper mediocre. Yeah, I know, know right? <laughs> it's so, so weird. weird. Um, but anyways, with that, I think we should, uh, come to a close. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, we are going to keep braving the Madagascar jungles. Uh, hopefully we'll talk to the group of, uh, what's a good term for a group of, like, not buffoons, but... Baboons? No. Baboons, you know, like Baboons, sure. Have you, wait, have you seen a baboon before? Like, have you been... Yeah, I'm, like, referring to, like, a group of... The lemurs? No. Okay, whatever, dude. The, we will go talk to the group of main character in in uh, Madagascar Escape to Africa. Is it Escape to Africa? Oh, you're talking, what's the name? King Simeon or something? Uh, King Julian. King Julian. And the go. hippo and Alex yeah, Lyon. Yeah, the crew. Yeah, the crew, but the group of, uh, not vigilantes, vagrants. 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 A group of vagrants and uh, criminals soon. So, we wish you a good day. I wish you a good day as well. Cameron, thank you very much for the conversation. And our listeners, I'm sending you love from where I sit through the waves. And I hope you're receiving them. I hope your antennas are set up properly. And I hope you send them back. I'll see y'all later.
Special thanks to zapsplat.com for providing us with various sound effects used in the making of this podcast.